0: Recorded live.
1: If you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, that's because you're either listening live and are in the chat room or you've happened upon a pre-edit copy of the Scuba Obsessed netcast. Come back in a few hours, and we will have an edited version already for you. Scuba Obsessed weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 257 is recorded live September 24th. 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed, I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where we are in beautiful fall weather, things are going, and you know what, the water is still warm. We have plenty, I don't say plenty, but we still have some dive time left if you haven't had a chance, you need to get out there if you happen to be in Michigan, this is a beautiful time to go do some diving be uh, doing solo at least for the first half of the show. Mac is uh, recovering after surgery. He's doing well, but his voice wasn't quite up to coming on the show. so hopefully we'll see him next week. Jim is doing a thirsty Thursday dive. and if he can get back in time, he will join us. So I am gonna be solo and we're gonna jump right on into the news. Want to thank everybody who's joining us in the chat room. Also, everybody who listens and downloads, you're no less appreciated. And let's see what we have up on the list for articles. I have them all preloaded, so you won't hear me swear as I try and fight with the browsers.
0: Uh, a little bit of
1: tech news. I saw that Apple released their new operating system, and they're now doing ad blocking. So uh, I don't know if that will the the threat of people blocking ads will help at all or not. Uh, This one's out of California Diver, but I think it applies to everyone. The U.S. Department of Transportation, uh, the Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, is asking for immediate assistance from divers to identify scuba tanks which may have an invalid RIN number. The RIN number is the retester's identification number. This number is used when you have your tanks uh tested hydrostatically to be able to identify it and that will be stamped in your tank when you have a Hydrostatic test done you have that done every five years on a tank So what they'll do is they'll put it in a the chamber. They'll do a hydrostatic chest test if it fails <laughs> They uh, cut the tank if it passes then uh, they will usually Grind a little spot out and they stamp this so what they're looking for is if you have An invalid RIN, which is that's what they're calling it, so I'm guessing somebody has a stamp which is mimicking a real stamp, and then what will be is you'll see a couple numbers, and then you'll see letters stacked on top of each other. If the letters are C over L, then they're asking that you contact them because that may not be a valid hydro. In fact, it's almost certainly not. Uh, so what they're doing is they're hoping that they can identify. They've had tanks uh, sure. show up in California and Hawaii with this stamp. They're recommending if you do have the the stamp, you contact them, but also don't dive on those tanks. Have them rehydroed uh, before uh,
0: using. And then this is follow-up to an article we had, I think it was last week. It
1: was about the cannons, if you remember. We had the uh, dive Diver salvage operator who pled guilty to taking uh, cannons. He had he admitted that he had falsified paperwork where he claimed that the cannons were found in international water, when in fact they were property of the crown in the UK. Uh, so what they've uh, then the follow up the these cannons from the shipwreck the London they're thinking are going to be able to be returned to Southend. Uh, Three 17th-century bronze cannons were taken from the wreck, which blew up and sank a mile from South End Pier on March 7, 1665. So it's more than a couple weeks ago. The three, they're calling it irreplaceable 17th-century bronze cannons, were stolen from the wreck, unwittingly bought by an American in 2008 for 56,000 pounds. They said most items on board the ship have been saved thanks to uh, major archaeological project. They legally belong to the Council and Southern Museum Service. The council said the American buyer was legally entitled to get his money back and may apply to the Victoria and Albert Museum and the Headley Trust to pay the buyer back. The Council Museum Services hope if and when they get the cannons back, they will become a big crowd puller for the museum. they for the cliffs on Southern Seafront. Executive Council for Enterprise, Tourism, and Economic Development, Councillor Graham Longley, said so the progress of the London shipwreck excavation has sparked a great deal of interest. He said the wreck of the London is of major historical importance and items recovered from it become key visitor attraction when they're displayed in town. This is why I it is essential for us to ensure that these cannons, which are the only ones known of their kind to be in existence, remain in South End and become a critical part of this exhibition. The London built in Chatham. Uh, in 1656, it was one of three completed large ships out of ten ordered by the Cromwellian Navy for the Anglo-Dutch War. The ship sank following an internal explosion when it was anchored in the nore Among 300 people killed, 30 were women and children who had come aboard to see off their loved ones. Only 24 survived. The tragedy touched the hearts of the nation, and Samuel Pepys commented, on it in his diary. Three cannons made in Amsterdam were used by the Dutch the English, but then captured by the English and kept as prizes. They were later installed on the London, which tankers were prepared to take part in the Second Anglo-Dutch War. Yeah. At South End and Court, Crown Court on Friday, September 4th, Vincent Wolvesgrove, 49, of Ramsgate, Kent, was jailed for two years in order to pay 3,500 pounds cost after admitting fraud in connection with the cannon. Wolves, Groves, a professional diver, falsely claimed to have found the cannons in international waters. And if you remember last week, Mac was kind of wondering how they could trace them back. And this just goes to prove the point when they say that the cannons were used by the Dutch and the the English captured them, reused them. So cannons had quite a lively uh, existence and could end up just about anywhere. This one's close to us in the Great Lakes. Portage Quarry is closing. Uh, We've covered this one a few times before. The Portage Quarry Recreational Club for many years have been a scuba diving site. They've been operating for 37 years. Some of the items that are at the site were a school bus, a jet. uh, Jim Palmer excavating, purchased the property five years ago. He continue to let let a dive shop use and lease the property. The company is planning to move out and is reported to have already started putting clean hard fill into the former quarry. Wood County Stone Quarry mined the site uh, from the 1800s until 1962 when it moved south of Portage. Natural Springs caused a 70-foot deep hole to flood, creating a 23-acre lake. Jerry Rice leased the site in 1978, built up the beach, added swimming and camping, as well as a dive shop. Portage Quarry became a site for training as well as recreational diving. The quarry officially closed on September 11th. Monica Lynn, who has with the quarry for 11 years, the last five years as manager, said many people expressed sadness about losing the site. We appreciate Brett Palmer allowing us a chance of a complete season, she said. He let us continue an extra five years after buying the property, and we appreciate that. She said beach usage has increased the last decade as quarry marketed itself to college students. A grain solo, a scrap boat, cannon semi-trucks, and three car wrecks, all placed for the diving experience, will remain at the bottom of the quarry, which is 70 feet at its deepest point. So, um, you know, occasionally we use, lose these dive sites.
0: Hopefully other sites will spring up and be used And here's an, an event that's coming up this weekend, if you happen to be in the Cincinnati area,
1: Bosom Buddies is having an underwater dive uh, a dive tournament dart tournament. Um, a local family wants to help raising awareness to fight breast cancer. They're looking for people to play darts this weekend, September 25th, but there's a catch people have to play underwater. It is uh, being assisted by Central Coast Dive over the weekend, and people can still sign up. They don't even have to know to to be a scuba diver. How to be a scuba diver? They don't have to scuba dive to be part of the program. First people learn to coordinate effort as a team. They say they've got wetsuits in all sizes, learning tools for all levels. Some videotape instructions gets people in the water before people know it. They pick up the passion. This, is according to Tommy Evans, who's been talking about for 15 years with Booz and Buddies. Booz and Buddies started because both Tommy's sister died. Of, of both of Tommy's sisters died of breast cancer. The team came together uh, to complete the tournament. The pros advised why year after year they've raised more than a quarter million dollars. And they say that money is being used to help fight breast cancer. Participant Ann Reckl said, I want them to know we have their backs. We're passionate about it as they are, and we want them to survive. It's pretty clear. Divers know a thing or two about surviving. Just some people think they won't get the hang of it, the fun, they get tossed their first underwater dart. And I like this as a program for a couple of reasons. It's getting people out for charity. Breast cancer is a, is a good charitable cause. But if you're a dive shop, it's a way of getting people in the water. People like to help out. You're going to get them in the water, and there's a chance that you may
0: get a diver out of it. And then Paddy had an article, Scuba Diving
1: Etiquette, How to Avoid Putting Your Boot in Your Mouth. So they, they give some tips about different things, and we'll just go over the highlights, but if you go on the Patty's site, www.patty.com. It's one of their blog posts. And if you've been on a dive boat, one of the big no-nos is spreading your gear all over the boat. So they say that's one of the things to avoid if you want to have some good dive etiquette. Uh, my personal advice on that is make sure that you've got everything in the bag. For example, I went diving on a, a friend's boat this weekend. And you've got to take into account the size of the boat. If I'm on a bigger boat, then you know I might bring a, a, a tote uh, a couple bags and gear uh, refreshments. If you're on a smaller boat and you know that they've got a lot of divers it's going to be uh, tight, then you may do things like have your gear preloaded. So what I did is I put my regulator on my tank, I uh, had everything all together, uh, and then I, I put stuff, uh, kind of nested it. So I've got this large dive bag, and I took my smaller dive bags and I put them all in there. So I've got one, I ended up with coming on the boat with one, large bag. And then I had my gear. Uh, the cap of the boat usually has a cooler. So instead of bringing my little portable cooler, I just asked if you had room for a couple waters and were able to put that in. So that also saves space. So one of the things for good etiquette is if when you're on a boat, uh, don't spread your gear together, keep yourself compact. Another one, and I see many people get upset about this is kicking up off the bottom so it ruins visibility for everybody behind you. And this is one of those things that comes with time. I I know some people get upset when uh, students are kicking up the bottom. And if you're at a spot where there's a lot of students, I don't know how you can avoid that because none of us, at least in my case, did we come in with natural buoyancy. It takes a little bit of time. Some people four dives and you've got it down. Some people can take more. Uh, if you're having problems with buoyancy, make sure that you're, you're properly weighted. Uh, another one uh, on etiquette is disturbing marine life. Don't touch the coral or the animals or anything like that. Uh, just a little touch of coral can kill it. Uh, animals you're harassing, so just look but don't touch. And then some people get tend to get upset about using terms, and there's a few times on the show where we've, Gotten people over that. So, uh, Google's uh, Google's goggles, flippers, and oxygen tank. Uh, flippers in the dive club. In fact, there's some of us that, that will uh, sometimes intentionally use the wrong terms around certain people. But you know, you 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 wouldn't want to do that. Uh, and if you can't figure it out, it's uh, so it's not flippers. It's fins. It's. Uh, uh, let's see what what were they saying in here that's a tank because it's not oxygen tank because it's it's an air tank. Do so they have they have a preferred term? And then uh, it's not goggles, it's a mask. Of course, you already knew that. So nice short article that Patty put out. And see how quick it goes when it's just me. Uh, we have. Some potentially cool scuba gear. This one's called the Lion Slayer. And this is on uh, the businessobserverfl.com website. And we have uh, an inventor. I'm gosh, it, it, even even by myself we have problems with name. Ali el Haig. Uh, he came up with this invention the the zookeeper, after getting stung by a lionfish while scuba diving, he said, the pain is immediate and immediately excruciating. It felt like somebody was pushing a red-hot iron up my right arm. So he created the zookeeper. It's an accessory that allows uh, spear fishermen hunting lionfish to uh, contain them without getting stung or poked. Uh, and for those who don't know, that lionfish, which is an invasive species, is all over Florida, and they're trying to, con- to convince people to call them. And uh, this is a device that helps with that. Uh, even though the fish is poisonous, has poisonous quills, it's okay to eat, and it's actually, even though I haven't had it, it's supposed to be quite good. So what he did to, to describe this object is it looks a little bit like If you imagine a white PVC tube, maybe six, eight inches in diameter, about three and a half feet long, it has a handle on it, and then uh, he's he's using a uh, a chain-type tether. I guess that's so if he drops it, it's still connected. And then you've got your lionfish culling spear, which appears to be about five, six feet, and you use that to stab the lionfish, and then you poke it, uh, the, the captured lionfish, into the zookeeper, and as you pull it out, I I'm imagine there's some sort of prongs or something that keep the fish in as you pull your spear out. And it, it's actually a, a nice idea. I, I like this better than, than using a bag. It seems to make sense. He said that the prices for them range from $115 to $210, depending on the size. He sold more than 2,300 of them so far, and they're available through a few dive equipment manufacturers. So you can ask your dive shop, uh, Innovative Scuba Concepts is a distributor for them, along with Trident Dive Equipment, which just about every dive shop is capable of getting equipment and supplies from them. And he says that besides lionfish, the zookeeper has been good at
0: containing lobsters and rockfish. He says the zookeeper is about diver safety. In The next few months, it's going to be a whole
1: slew of products. He has things he says. In, in not only the zookeeper, but they're talking about adding gloves, knives, and specialty handles. He says it won't guarantee that you won't get stung. He says ironically, it was when using the zookeeper that he did get stung. Like most stings, the result from diver error. He was stuffed the zookeeper beyond its limits, and some spines are sticking out of the tubes just enough to sting him. After tetanus shot and six-day treatment of steroids. To reduce the swelling. Now he does have a video, and one of the things in the video they talked about is when you go diving and you're going to cull lionfish, is to make sure that you have a thermos of hot water, not hot enough to burn yourself, but warm. And if you do get stung, you put your water, your hand in the water for about 25 to 35 minutes, along with getting
0: medical treatment. And they said that seems to help. So that does it for scuba news hard to believe it's done all that quick so as
1: you're aware of if you've listened to the show for a while now if you haven't given us a review on iTunes and hopefully it's a nice review we would certainly appreciate that that gets people listening to the show you can listen to us on the WRVO radio network Reno Viola's uh, outdoor Network, if you like scuba diving, there's a couple scuba diving podcasts. In addition to ours, there's also some on fishing, hunting, camping, other things in the great outdoors, 24-7. So you want to tune in there. We're also on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can subscribe to us that way. Or you can go to our website, and we have a link that will get you to the most recent episodes. So let's go ahead and talk about last week's diving. I've been missing out on diving probably, well, it's probably been six weeks since I had been. So it looked like I was going to have an opportunity. I went and baked myself pretty good on Saturday. And I don't mean baked as in the narcotic sense, but as the, in the sun, my son was playing tennis. It was hot and I really toasted myself. So I had made diving arrangements for Sunday, and I thought I was not going to make it. Uh, I uh, lathered myself up with some aloe vera over the night, and by the time I woke up in the morning, I was fine and able to go diving. Uh, Jim Schultz was had a full boat, and uh, Bob Sweeney had a full boat. Uh, they posted on Facebook on our club's meeting area that they were going to go out, so I I told Jim if he had a space, let me know. He had a cancellation. So I was able to get that newly open spot. I went a little bit early. The, Bob was going to leave at one, and then Jim was going to leave at two. Um, when, when you have stuff like that, if you can get out of the house early, it means it's, one, it's a little bit less opportunity for projects to be swung your way. So I made sure that I made it down to the boat ramp early. So... Bob pulled in just a couple minutes after I did, and then his, he ended up having an open spot on his boat, so I called Jim up and said, hey, if you don't mind, Bob's got an open spot. I'll go ahead and jump with him, and he was fine with it. He he was going to be on a, uh, by a little bit later. So what we did is we, did, we went back to Havana B. Now, Bob thinks that Havana is actually two shipwrecks. And we don't have any proof of this, but that's what we're trying to do. We're con- we're continuing to re-dive this site and come up with an understanding. So we were going to go back out to the Havana. When we when we got there, uh, perfect conditions, bright, sunny day. Uh, waves were less than a foot, uh, and most of those waves were probably caused by boats off in the distance. Uh, we did some side scanning just to get a, a map of it. And then we uh, ha- identified two spots. Uh, we threw a mushroom anchor down on what we consider to be the original Havana wreck, or Havana A. And then we've, we've, there's a, a mooring buoy on Havana B. So what we did is we took that mushroom anchor with some line and we attach it to our mooring so that we had a way of going between the two wrecks or two sections of a wreck, depending on which way it is. Um, now, to give you a little bit of background, we had some bad weather o- over the last week. We've had some heavy rain, uh, rained heavy Friday night, uh, and on Saturday, waves were, you know, four to six feet. So it was pretty rough. So when you have those conditions, we're really not expecting to have a nice dive. Uh, as we got divers into the water and, uh, you know, shortly after we moored, we had another boat pull up, uh, Gosh, now I feel bad. I can't remember the his name. Uh, here, i oh, by myself. Let me go pull it up on Facebook. So we had uh, a boat pull up, and then that was somebody who had mentioned that they were going to be, that they might be out there. He brought their boat, and he had a really nice boat. And then we had another diver who I don't recognize him, But I think I've seen him in photos, but he and his, he had a female companion, and uh, they also uh, anchored off the wreck. So we had three different boats all diving. We hadn't seen Jim, because by the time we got out there, Jim's got a little bit faster boat than uh, Bob Zodiac. So usually even when we get out an hour early, within 15, 20 minutes, about the time we have all our gear on, uh, they'll catch up. Now, Kurt, uh, he had uh, a new dry suit. And he had dry-fitted everything at home, made sure it all, that everything would go together. So he wanted to go and uh, try it out. You know, Bob's been having good luck with his suit. He dove up north and uh, had tackled all his last leak issues he had. Uh, Bob's our rebreather diver. He he went in. And then we had uh, uh, the diver in the larger boat, which I'm going to get his
0: name now. Let's See. Okay hey okay. Daryl that's who it was okay, so daryl uh he
1: was in his boat and he he swam over he wanted to go di- down and and dive with us, so I buddied up with Daryl. And we had uh, Bob had already gone down. You know, he 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 usually goes in before we do and out after we're already up. And uh, you know I've uh, both Kurt and Bob have front zips. I had a back back zip dry suit. And uh, you know, I asked Kurt if he was all fine. He said yeah, go ahead and go. And so I jumped in the water with Daryl and. You know, I was I was getting to be a little bit optimistic because you could see down to your fins from the surface, which usually is a sign that visibility is not going to be too bad. Uh, so Daryl and I went down the line. Uh, Daryl mentioned that he might have a little bit of the issue equalizing, so don't be too surprised. And I've I know all sorts of divers who claim they have problems equalizing. I I've even had that issue a few times, and and they'll go the gamut. You'll have some divers you'll dive with, where uh, they say that they have an issue, and I, you know, they go down as quick as I do, and I shoot down like a rocket typically. And then you have others who, can, I, I've seen extreme cases of 15 minutes to go down 50 feet. So it just depends. Now Daryl said he he was going to have an issue, but he was right behind me, so I put him on the the less end of the range. Uh, he was able to get down. I knew we were in trouble when we got down about 10, 15 feet, and it got to where your your hand on the line uh, was having problems seeing. Uh, temperature on on the surface was summer balmy waters. It uh, was in the high 60s, low 70s, and it didn't go down that quickly as we descended. Uh, the thermocline was just over the bottom. Uh, this particular wreck in about 57 feet of water, and I would say the thermocline was probably about, uh, 45, right around in there. And it was cold below the thermocline, but not frigid. So I was, I'm was, i going to estimate, uh, without looking at a, a dive log, uh, I'm going to say we probably had 49 degrees on the bottom, which is, is pleasant. So if you like uh, warmer waters, uh, August and September, you tend to have some really nice waters. I'm going to guess that with a storm, the lake really kind of flipped and mixed and it was starting to settle out. So at the surface, where sediment and particulate had already come out, we had fairly decent viz, but it went bad to down at the bottom, maybe four feet optimistically. If you stirred it up, it was gonna. It stayed silted and didn't really settle out. Um, so I went down with Daryl. We got down the bottom. Uh, I kind of followed the wreck where the tether is on Havana B, we have a bunch of uh, knees, uh, ship's knees coming up. So I followed about four or five of those, looked. Uh, he was staying pretty, pretty close to me. Uh, you know, And this is something for divers is, is make sure when you're buddying up with somebody uh, that you are you stay out of the blind spot. I'm, I'm used to it with new divers sometimes, so I had to keep looking. But if you can keep even, it makes it a little bit easier. But he was doing a good job. I think what he was trying to do. He was really cognizant of not stirring up the bottom, which uh, when we get low vis like that, and I didn't have uh, uh, a rec line, so I you know, kind of stayed uh, near, and then I saw him, I turned around, and then I went up. What I wanted to do, I signaled that we were going to go up, and I wanted to see what his feelings were for it, because he said he was a new diver, and I I think he's a little bit more experienced than he was letting on. He's a newish wreck diver, especially in Great Lakes. He said he had about five or six dives, but I have a feeling that he had quite a few warm water dives under his belt. So I went up. Uh, we kind of debriefed and said how how are you going? And while we were up on the surface, Kirk was uh, Kirk still hadn't gotten in the water. So I asked him, you know, what was up and he was having problems with his rings, So even though he had dry fitted everything at home and made sure his rings on his new dry suit fit, he couldn't get them on. So uh, without taking all my gear up and getting on the boat, so here, here's Kirk reaching over the side of the boat, hanging his, his uh, arm down so I can try and help him with the other side. You know, I kind of felt bad. I hadn't stayed on the boat making sure that he had gotten all his, his gear together before we went down. And we fought and fought and fought and, fought and couldn't get it. He, so he just said, go Go dive, I'll figure this out, uh, and you know I'll come down later. Uh, so Daryl and I went down again. Uh, Kurt had given me his uh, wreck line. I tied off to the anchor and we went and we put out 200 feet of that wreck line, and we're still on the wreck. So that's how much of a wreck. You know, the Vanna used to be barely a one wreck dive. I mean, a, a one tank dive, and now I think you could go through you know, three or four tanks and still not see all of it. And then the viz was, was pretty bad. As we got away from the anchor and the mooring line, the viz did pick up, but we never got much above three or four feet. Uh, Bob was down there, but I didn't see him. And being a rebreather diver, you can't hear him breathing. So we got all the way out the line, came all the way back, and then we went up. So Daryl did a great job, especially for a, a green Wreck diver, and uh, it was a nice dive. And we also had some other divers. There's a, there's uh, that other couple. They look they look uh, younger than us old timers. Uh, yeah, they went down. I did see their anchor when I was down, and then when we came up, they went down. Uh, by the time I got back up, Kirk had figured out what was going on. And the way his ring kit is, is that you kind of it's like there's a it's a round ring, it's not an oval ring, and then you, it's stiff on the suit. So what you do is you kind of deflect the collar or cuff of the dry suit into the ring. So he had a couple different things going on. Uh, he had over put that on because there's a if you look on the inside of the ring, there's four or five grooves, and you you don't put them all the way and you leave some out because the other side is the the glove and the ring kit that you slide on, and it, and it twists locks. So if you put the ring too far onto the sleeve or cuff of the suit, you have no place for the ring to actually come in, so that was part of the issue. Also, this ring has a rubber uh, ring that goes over it, and there's two ways to have that ring on. One, if you, if you look at the edge of it, you have a little narrow side where it's not as high and then you have another one that's higher and what the higher side is is that goes towards the fingers of the glove so when you're pushing that glove on you don't you know that 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 rubber doesn't come off the plastic ring Uh, and as he was putting everything together we think he flipped it around and then that that deeper rubber on that ring also was preventing it from cupping. so between having the ring on one side not right, and then that flipped it. You know, once he he researched it, took it apart, by the time we come up, he was ready to go down. So he got his gear, and then he went down and, and did a dive with Bob. Uh, but it was it was a beautiful day. Uh, it's what, it's what, you know, one of the things that we love about diving, especially in Michigan in the Great Lakes, is um, just the weather. And uh, I didn't have any problem with my sunburn, but my sunburn had subsided. And then Wheaton Diver in the chat room was saying, "Hey, that's what sunscreen's for." Uh, he did it. Looks like he did a car show, and he made sure that he was sunscreened, which is smart. Uh, you know, in you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and this is on Saturday. Uh, we went up to it wasn't it was Allegan, and what made it tough was it was overcast, and I think sometimes overcast is the worst days for sunburn. So it was cold, so you're cold, and it's overcast. I didn't have my hat with me, so by the time the sun came out, which was you know about middle of the day, I probably had done you know a lot of the sunburn damage. And then also also we've been out in the sun in summer all year, so you're know, just watching a few tennis matches, you wouldn't think would be too bad, but it'll it'll catch up to you. Uh, now Jim, we never did see his boat, and, w- and when we got back in, we found out what had happened. Is that uh, his boat was acting a little finicky, so they went and pulled some buoys from the dive club, and decided they weren't going to chance it on the big lake. Which it's better to be
0: to err on the side of caution in these type of situations. So that was my dive experience. the The club has
1: been having the Thursday Thursday dives, which is where Jim is again tonight, and uh, if you go to the Club, com, you'll see some links. Also, if you happen to be a member of the Mud Club's Facebook page, you can also see it there, and they're finding some nice bottles. It's a good excuse. It's a nice uh, to do a, a week dive Thursdays because the podcast is a little tough for me, uh, and then the kids are just doing all sorts of things in school, so it's really hard to, to take the time, but, you know, if you have a local club that is doing those type of week night dives, it's a good opportunity to get back into the water. Well, this, I think, is going to be a little bit shorter than normal episode. As always, we'd like to thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions to show, you can contact us at the show at scubaobsessed.com. You can follow us on Twitter at scubaobsessed. Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash The website is www.scubaobsessed.com. Now, you know, sometimes I, I wonder if I should do a scuba joke when it's solo, but this one I think is so bad, maybe it will lift Max spirits if he hears it. Hopefully it doesn't have the opposite effect. So if you are ready, and we consider this to be ample warning, here you go. A scuba diver boarded a plane and took a seat. As he settled in, he glanced up and saw the most beautiful woman boarding the plane. He soon realized she was heading straight towards the seat. As fate would have it, she took the seat right next to him. Eager to strike up a conversation with her, he blurted out, a business trip or pleasure. She turned, smiled, and said, business. I'm going to the annual Nipomaniacs of America Convention in Boston, he swallowed hard. Here's the most gorgeous woman he had seen sitting next to him, and she was going to a meeting on a meeting of nymphomaniacs, struggling to maintain his composure. He calmly asked, uh, "What's your business at this convention?" "Lecturer," she responded. "I use information that I've learned from my personal experiences to debunk some of the popular myths about sexuality." "Really?" he asked. "What kind of myths are there?" "Well," she explained, "one popular myth is that African-American men are the most well-endowed of all men." when in fact it is the Native American Indian who is most likely to possess that trait. Another popular myth is that Frenchmen are the best lovers, when it's actually the men of Mexican descent who are the best. I've also discovered that a lover with absolutely the best stamina is a southern redneck. Suddenly the woman became a little uncomfortable and blushed. I'm sorry, she said. I shouldn't really be discussing all this with you. I don't even know your
0: name. Tato, the man said. Tato Gonzalez. But my friends call me Bubba. His name is, you know, like Lone Ranger and Bubba. So on that note, go out there and get wet.